Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms, legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports. Uh, Bill Roden here live from Las Vegas in the desert. Um, and rode along with uh, my co-host and partner back in New York, the great Jamal Murphy. Good to hear from you again. You, you know, you're still out all the way on the West Coast, and I'm still here in New York City. Yeah. Uh, you know, another rainy day. Yep, but you're still in New York City. <laughs> that is true. I'm not complaining <laughs> too much, but, uh, yeah. you know. I had to go home for a couple of days, and uh, it's just so funny. You land, and as soon as you step into Kennedy Airport, man, you just feel all this electricity, you know. Right. You know, just things just buzzing and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, Jamal, this is, I know this is one of your favorite. Oh, Pat. Hi, Pat. Hello. <laughs> How's it been going, Pat? Good, good. Yeah, everything good? How's hockey? Hockey's good. But I'm getting <laughs> excited. I'm getting excited, too, for the March Madness. Oh, yeah. Well, good. Well, you know, Pat just completely took my, took the thunder. <laughs> well, well, oh, well, Pat, Pat is, Pat's, Pat's the, uh, He's a Seton Hall guy. Seton Hall, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's it's right. It's been a couple years. So yeah, hopefully well, actually, they could change that and get back in the tournaments. Seton Hall's looking kind of yeah. good, right, Pat? Yeah, they're looking good. They had a close one, though, on Sunday. Yeah, with St. John's, a struggling St. John's program, who's, who's probably on the rise. But, you know, what, what, so what are we talking about again? March oh. Madness? <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. got the gun. <laughs> no, no. Hey, listen, Pat, that's your job, sort of. Uh, so, no, we this is always a favorite, my one of my favorite times of year. You know, after you've got the Super Bowl and just the doldrums of February, and now everybody's really starting to crank it back up. You know, pitchers and catchers are already in spring training, and and uh, March Madness is is upon us. And I, whenever I think of March Madness, I, I guess my first time covering March Madness for the Times was in 1985. Wow! And I know Jamal, you've got. Uh, some great memories of that, Pat. I think you said you were in third grade. Uh, I don't know, something like that. I was. I was. Just... Well, wait a minute. Something like that, or you were in third grade? I mean, I might have I mean, been what, second, what? third. I. I mean, I remember the Super Bowl twenty, with the Bears, but I don't remember much from nineteen eighty five. It's all a blur. Right. I, I actually think that eighty five. Well, you know, and I'm a huge college basketball fan. It might be my favorite sport, but um, mm. I think eighty five might have been the first. The first uh, championship game I remember, I remember watching. I don't remember '84 when Georgetown won it the first time, but I do remember Villanova beating Georgetown in '85. Oh yeah, well I, I was there. Like I said, that was my first first one covering. I guess Jamal, you were a big uh, Georgetown fan. Yeah, you know I gr- that was a time it was uh, you know Georgetown Hoyer paranoia. I became mm-hmm. fascinated with with John Thompson uh, Jr. and you know mm-hmm. like the political stands he was taking yep. and. You know the team; they were so ferocious on defense, and it also created all this racial tension and stuff like that. So it was, it was great, you know. And I you root, remember I the root, team. I rooted hard for them. What was that? You you remember who, who was on the team? Yeah, I remember. Okay, I remember uh, Pat Ewing, of course. I remember Michael Jackson was the point guard. Yeah. I remember David Wingate was on that team. I remember uh, Reggie Williams was like yeah. a freshman, I think, in '85. Yeah. I remember that. Um, I remember. Uh, there are a couple a couple guys I'm forgetting, 
But I remember in Villanova, uh, I remember you know the McLeans and uh, and Pinckney and all that. It was yeah, that was that was the first yeah. year I started. I was really paid attention. Where were you at that time? What were you What were you doing at that? time? I mean, I was in Brooklyn, like nine years old or something. Nine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, I, like I think my I think my father was trying to make me go to bed or something, and I was like trying to stay up and watch the game, or I might have had it on the radio. But yeah, I, I remember I was rooting hard for Georgetown, and I just remember mm-hmm. being very sad that that Villanova pulled off that upset. Yeah, that was those. You know, and and again, I was um, I I uh, it was my third year at the Times. Uh, and again, I had gone from covering, you know, high school sports and that kind of stuff. But I'd been covering St. John's. St. John's was my beat. Right. And boy, that's when the Big East was just rolling. Right. Man. I mean, they had. It's it's hard to fathom it now. When <laughs> it, it's it's kind of coming back this year. I mean, Villanova, oddly enough, is I think by by many polls, maybe the, the the best team in the nation so far. Right. And again, you know, the thing about talking about this stuff is when people come back to listen to this podcast and ten, you know, like a year from now, everything we're talking about is going to be wrong. You know, <laughs> right. Of, Watch know, out for the predictions, right? Yeah, I'm not making a prediction, <laughs> but but 85 was just such a. You had Lou Carnesecca, right. the head coach of St. John. Right. Uh, Roly Massimino at Villanova. Right. Um, you know, uh, I think Rick Pitino. Was it Providence? Providence I, right. I, I think he was a Providence. Um, it was just uh, you know, every team. I mean, even Seton Hall. I mean, Seton right. Hall was was beginning to stop from beating the, the doormat with PJ Carlissimo. Right. Um, yeah, Chris Mullen. Boston College. Team. Yeah, yeah. Boston College. Really right. St. John's had Chris Mullen. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson. Walter Berry. Right. Uh, and, and they had uh, Mike Moses, who was the guard. I mean, you know, uh, it, it was just. It was just. Uh, it was it was a great conference. The conference was relatively new. Right. It was it was Dave Gavis conference, and they had been, you know, the year before Georgetown had won uh, the national championship. Right. Beat Houston. Eighty four with Ewan and that team, and the year before, let's see, eighty three. Well, they didn't make it. Uh, they didn't. Uh, but eighty two, they had played right. for the national championship again. They lost to Michael Jordan in Carolina. To Michael Jordan, right. 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 Yeah, no, it was, it was rolling, and everybody was talking about the Big East had surpassed the ACC and right. the Big Ten and all that kind of stuff. And I guess in some ways they did. Um, and then, you know, there've been oh, there've been thirty for thirty documentaries and uh, you know television shows about the Big East at that time. I mean, they took the the sports world by storm. Nineteen eighty five. Where were you, people, in nineteen eighty five? And and you're right. I mean. John Thompson was this just larger than life uh, figure. I mean, literally. I mean, he was six six ten. Right, right. Uh, very intimidating, imposing figure. And he, you know, sometimes he had the team wearing all black, and I mean, and it was just people were talking about like Curry, the Curry, Patrick's of the world, Sports Illustrated, calling them thugs and right. these guys didn't belong in college, and <laughs> which was code word, you know. Right, what of mean? course. Black people didn't belong in college. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, it was just really, and it made you cheer for Georgetown. Right. <laughs> you know, no just the amount it. of racism that was just, you know, whatever. That's again, and even today. I mean, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about uh, the injury. I mean, uh, the the uh, football and the NFL and this whole push to make the game safe, and all of a sudden. 
And I just said, that's all well and good, but just remember, and I always remind people of the jockey syndrome, remember, whenever black people take over something or are prominent in something, it's just there's this knee-jerk reaction in, in society, you know, white-driven society, to basically change the rules or eliminate it. It's almost like it's almost this unconscious, given it the benefit of the doubt, this unconscious yeah. thing that gets into play. And clearly that was what was happening in Georgetown. In 80, you know, because remember, they, they, were on, they were just on Georgetown ever since Patrick Ewing got there. He was just this... People forget, man, it's just how ferocious Patrick Ewing was. I mean, this guy right. was just ferocious. Just and then, and also, so he, you know, people started, you know, what I remember is people started to, you know, talk about him and, uh, you know, and to say, to put it lightly, unflattering terms. Yeah, right. Um, you know, basically calling him a monkey. Right. Um, you know, really. long arms, uh, you know, suggesting that he couldn't read and, yeah. you know, he was a big dummy. And it turned out to be the, you know, the farthest thing from the truth. He graduated. He was great. He still is, I think, a really you know talent artist. Um, but you know, it was you're right. If you were and 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 then more black sports writers. I remember me and Will Bond, the late Brian Burwell. More black sports writers were assigned to cover Georgetown because we you know we 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 had to decode John Thompson for everybody. So what what do you what do you mean by that when you say decode? What did you have to do? Well, because everybody was afraid of him. All the white guys, a lot of reporters, it was just you know, so they. So all the they they sent anybody who had a black reporter would put them on the Georgetown beat. You could cover Georgetown, you know. Right. And and uh, in fact, that's where um, we began. We began this 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 tradition that lasts to this day, where because remember it was John Thompson who was at Georgetown. John Shaney right was at Temple. Nolan Richardson right was at um, uh, Arkansas. Out west, uh, you had uh, George Raveling right. uh, was out west. Uh, and that was sort of the heyday, man, of those those black coaches. And John, you know, John really, he knew the power he had. He really threw his weight around. I mean, and that's, that's the difference between, you know, having power and using it and just sort of apologizing for the power you have. And um, what we started doing in, in it was not so much 85, because they were really into being mysterious. Remember, they would, they John would keep keep the team, like if they were in New Orleans, he'd keep the team in like Biloxi, Mississippi, or something. <laughs> right, it was right. just this air of secretism. Right. And then, like I said, the guys would come out wearing all black. They knew that they had this intimidation. Because if you got Patrick Ewing backing you up, <laughs> you know, but that that was just such a a great team. And some people would argue they probably should have won two or three. National championships. Yeah, and I, re- but, um, I, re- yeah. I remember that. You know, I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm pretty sure they weren't the first team to to have an all black starting five or an all black team. No, but, no. I, but I remember that being an issue as far as uh, Georgetown or John Thompson was concerned. It was always brought up that he, you know he had no white players on the team. Period. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He tried. He said, "I tried." You know. Uh-huh. You know, but no, that you're right. They they made it. But you know, Mary Finland was sort of his right-hand person. She was a former nun who was his right-hand person. It was just really, really special. And and forget just the sociology, the competition that year. I mean, there was a time when St. John's, Georgetown, I think Villanova were like one, two, three in the country. Right. Or one, two, four. 
And it was, I mean, there they, they, they were, I mean, Georgetown and St. John's just had just these knockdown, drag out battles. Chris Mullen and Walter Berry, Mark Jackson, uh, Wingate. I mean, it was just, it was really, really, really great, great basketball. And, um, you know, of course, Jamal, you remember the 1985 Final Four. The, the, the reason, you know, and, I, and again, that was my first Final Four, and it was fascinating. I mean, following St. John's through the whole, they, they were out west, and they had to work their way out west. And um, the interesting thing, however, was that, you know, Villanova and Roland Massimino always gave Georgetown problems. Right. I mean, always gave Georgetown problems, which is why in my mind, when I saw the, and, and, and St. John's could never be Georgetown. Never. Right, St. Right. John's could never, ever, ever beat Georgetown. So when I saw the way the bracket was shaping up, that Georgetown was going to play uh, St. John's, Villanova, I think, was going to play Memphis right. or Memphis State or something like right. that. I said, you know, um, there's no way that St. John's is going to be Georgetown. And they didn't. Right. And when it was time for the final, for the championship game, I know everybody was talking about David versus Goliath. I said, well, you know, Villanova always plays uh, Georgetown tough. So it wasn't as – I mean, they did play perfectly, no question about it. Right, they shot about 70%, right? Yeah. And there, and there was yeah. no shot clock at the time, so they were able to uh, stall and play a four-corners offense. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But it was – it was. You know, you're right, just from your vantage point, did, who, who, what, what stood out about that game? No, I mean it was just you know it was the you know obviously the bit the 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 first big upset that I had ever seen or you know heard about and of course it was blowing up in the media like that it was a huge upset but what stood out was that basically Villanova played a perfect game for them mm-hmm. um, they you know they shot seventy percent uh, they I don't think I think they missed Harold Jensen, they barely Harold they might have missed like one or two shots at total in the second half yeah Jensen went off I remember you know I remember vividly uh, him you know him going in for a layup late in the game, basically clinching the game. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just remember being upset. I was rooting hard for Georgetown. <laughs> I was yeah, I was yeah, pissed. Yeah, yeah well, a lot of people were. And uh, I remember there was one play, there was one play, you know, Kirk Kirkpatrick, the famous, uh, infamous uh, writer from Sports Illustrated who just, John Thompson and Kirk just went at it all the time. John thought that Curry was racist and, you know, Curry thought that, he ran a thug program, and I remember there was one, one, you know, Curry of course was courtside, and there was a a, a, a play, a loose ball, right of courtside, right by Curry, and, and Curry was acting like he was like on the field, on the court. He got up and was pointing, no, no, the ball is it was off the George side. You know what I mean, yeah, it's a Curry. Come on, sit down, man. I mean, right. But it, it was, it was just, but that's whatever Georgetown would play. I remember, um, uh, what's the name? Um, from Pardon the Interruption. Um, Will Bond or... Uh, not, not Will Bond, but... Um, Kornheiser. Kornheiser, you know. <laughs> I'm now I'm really never be on the show. But, uh, <laughs> not that I ever had a show. But Kornheiser, they, there was a Georgetown-St. John's game, and that's when everybody was trying to talk about using Georgetown to talk about racism. Right. And I remember Kornheiser was... People were booing, and he was going around, and he asked me, is, is, do you think that's racist? Is it black? You know... I said, Tony, come on, man, really. You know, like, 
10 minutes before tip-off. <laughs> and not only that, everything is about race in the United States. Right. I mean, don't ask me that. Right. <laughs> but anyway, but no, it was just a great year. Um, now you, you fast forward to 2016, and you, you know, I know, Jamal, you, you've been become an avid fan of it. And the question I always ask myself is, how has it changed from 85 uh, when I think it was in Dallas, all the way to last year, 20, 2015, I think it was in Indianapolis. Right. This year is going to be in, in Houston. Um, the fan, the, the field has expanded a little more. Uh, how do you think it's, it's, it's changed? Well, it, you know, the game has changed now because there are less, you know, the, you know substantially less four-year players. Uh, like you mentioned before, it's a, a lot of one-and-dones. If you have if you have any type of pro potential, serious pro potential, you're not you're not you're most likely not seeing your sophomore year of college uh, in today's game. So now the game, there's not as much talent on the floor in the college game. the The most talented guys on the floor are freshmen most of the time. But the teams that the teams that because of that the teams that really go far for the most part besides Calipari's Kentucky freshman laden teams. Are teams that have that do have some seniors, maybe not NBA, you know, caliber players, but they're very good college players and they have experience, and that'll take you a long way nowadays in March. But as far as you know, the hoopla is pretty much the same or, or more. Right. It's just it grows every year because I think it's the it's the structure of the of the right. tournament. It's just like you can't help but get excited about it. And you're you're in Vegas. That's one of the best places. I you know, I, I went to Vegas four or five years straight. To watch the first two rounds of the of mm. the tournament, and there's no better atmosphere than that. I mean, you're in the you're, right. you're in those sports books, and everybody's just going crazy for the for for entire you know day and night. It's just unbelievable. Hey Jamal, you know maybe that's an idea, man. You gotta you, gotta, you know try to spring for some see if we have a budget for our show, and we gotta <laughs> do cover the cover March Madness. From Las Vegas. I've been thinking about that because that's a sto- you know? that's a great story to write. I've I've seen you know a couple of people have tried to write it, but it's a it's a it's a great story. It's unique, and there's I mean there's no more exciting place to be. And Vegas, a big sports town, when you're in the casinos and the sports books, uh, people are putting money on the games, so it doesn't you, really you matter. You, it doesn't matter you, if the game's a blowout. Right. It could be you know teams up 15 points, but the spread is 17, so people are going crazy. You oh, know man, that could be that could be so much fun. Could you imagine that? We'll do a we'll do a uh, broadcast. Hey, uh, you don't have to tell maybe, me twice. I'll, I'll be down there. <laughs> yeah, just, just pitch Adam Bloom. Hey, Adam, you, you you listen to this? All right. You know, uh, hey, Greg Greg Herman. Yes. You know, I'll get on that. I'll get on that. Yeah, think, as soon as we finish this podcast. But um, but no, but I, I think you're right, Jamal. That probably from the 30s to the 40s to the 50s to the 60s. The thing that's not changed about the tournament is just the electric nature of it because everybody's on a tightrope. Right. It's, it's, there's no net. You know, you, 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 it's one and done. You know, you, your team, if your team gets hot, and you may, I, I remember my, my, the first upset I um, remember is 1963. Uh, I, was, I actually wasn't even born there. <laughs> but I remember watching it from heaven. Right, right. Uh, but, but 63, the... the uh, <laughs> The Loyola Ramblers upset Cincinnati for the national championship, and I, you know I'm from Chicago. Is that is that Oscar Robertson Cincinnati? No, no. You know, funny thing, Oscar is always kind of 
grumbles about that. He had just left. Okay, okay. <laughs> he had left, and I don't think while he was there they had ever reached the Final Four. Okay. And as soon as he left, they went to the Final Four back-to-back time. Wow. And they were they won it, and then they they stormed into the – if you anybody Google it, Google the 63 team, Loyola, the Ramblers of Chicago were just – their big claim to fame is that they had played um, – they had beaten, I think it was University of Mississippi. And that was a huge – there have been books written about that unto itself because the Mississippi team had to um, sneak out of Mississippi to play Loyola because there was segregation and the governor said you can't play a team with black players. And uh, they snuck out of Mississippi to play Loyola. Of course, they wished they hadn't, right. but um, they lost. But it was just such a great instance of sport where sportsmanship trumped racism because they just wanted – the Mississippi team had a they were a great team. Right. And they wanted to test themselves against this Loyola team, which was really outstanding. And that game, so, so you know, Loyola won, and they were an undersized team, and they were taking on the big, bad uh Cincinnati Bearcats who were were you know, were on the verge of, of doing back to back. I mean, this was a team that nobody could beat. And, I, and, and and to show you how far the NCAA has come, that game was on tape delay, Jamal. I mean, you couldn't watch it live, <laughs> you know. It was like all on radio. You could not watch it live. And I remember, and if you were in Chicago, man, I mean, everybody was just, because this was a commuter school, Catholic school, you know, and everybody was just, just crazy about the Loyola Ramblers. And we're listening to the, listening to the game on radio, and it was down to the wire. And when they finally put it on TV, I mean, they were down. They came back. And the star of the team, of the um, of the Cincinnati team, was a, a fellow named George Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I knew George Wilson because he was from Chicago, and he played at Marshall High School. He's a big-time star at Marshall. And my father uh, was a, a longtime teacher at DuSable High School in Chicago like 30 years, well, 20 years, 25 years. And Sabo had had a great basketball team. And, in fact, they were the first team from the the public league to go down state and compete for a state title. Anyway, but George Wilson was a big star, so I followed him. And he was a big star in Cincinnati. And the scene I always remember, uh, Cincinnati blew a lead, and I think, I forgot who it was at free throw line, but from Loyola, but he made, he was on the line with about like one or two seconds left or something like that, and he made them both. And I remember that as as George Wilson took the ball out, the buzzer went off, and he just dropped the ball and put his hands over his head like he couldn't believe it. The, 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 the look on his face was that he just could not believe what had happened. And I think from that moment, I was hooked right. on the electricity of the Final Four because that, to me, encapsulates what the Final Four is about. There's always, you know, you know, there's always a team that's that's supposedly unbeatable, or a team that gets hot and suddenly the dream the dream comes to an end. You know, it's just it's really crashing in, and there's always a, yeah. a Cinderella. Yeah. What, what what Cinderella do you remember of all the years that you've been watching? Uh, what I mean, obviously, you've talked about Villanova, right. who you hated. Right, but what right. what what's your favorite? Uh, hey, you too, Pat. What's your favorite 
your favorite Cinderella team? Well, uh, my favorite team and the one I really remember, and it, it may not count because they had a star on the team and a star coach, but uh, Kansas, and I think mm. it was uh, 88, oh, Danny 88, 89, something like that. Yeah, it was the da- Danny, yeah. Danny Manning. Yeah, Danny and, and the, the Miracles. Yeah, Danny and the Miracles. And, I, and Larry Brown was the coach. Yeah, Larry Brown was the coach. You know, I'm still young at the time. Um, they, you know, I think they were an eight or nine seed, mm-hmm. and so they weren't supposed to be there. And o- Oklahoma again, it was the same situation, almost the same situation as Vill- Villanova Georgetown. They're in the same league. I think it was the Big Eight or something at the time. Yeah, yeah Oklahoma had this great team. Yeah, they had Stacy King, uh, Mookie Blaylock. You know, they had a they had a great team, and it was just Danny Manning put the you know he had it was like I think Kansas was coming off of probation or something, so they didn't yeah. really have they didn't have all their roster spots. They were playing. They were playing uh, walk-ons and football players, <laughs> and they had Danny Manning, and he, you know, right. he would carry them, and he was also unselfish. Like he was, he yeah, would score thirty, thing, right. and he was unselfish, and he would make these guys right. better. And and I just remember that it was. I think I watched. I probably watched that championship game. It was a great championship game, uh, close all the way. Kansas won it. I probably watched that. You know, I had it on videotape. I probably watched it five times. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I'm I'm a fanatic. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Well, but it's it's, it's very uh, it's very exciting, and I, I guess financially the thing has just grown and grown and grown. Uh, it's just you know between this and you know, you know the, the the football playoffs have finally caught on to the magic because now we've got relatively almost the same thing in big time football. Wow. You, I mean, obviously you don't have sixty four teams, but they realize that that whole Final Four right. element where you've got elimination and, and a convergence is just can't miss for college because you've got the combination of it's college, it's people's alma mater, it's, right. it's people's sons and daughters, and you know I mean we haven't even talked about the women's side of it, which has been a little I think less dramatic because Connecticut has just been so dominant. That has almost not even been. I don't know what to say. Fun, <laughs> right? You, you know, but I mean, when you have one team, it's, it's it's different to have one team good for a year when you're undefeated, and we've seen that with UNLV and some other teams that come into the tournament undefeated. Well, remember to Kentucky last year, right? Exactly. When they were just rolling into the into the thing, and but but as opposed to the UConn women, and it's like. Over a period of like years, you know, where they've not been seriously challenged. But oh, what about? I'm sorry, I was going to say this year, South Carolina looks good. They're I think number three, mm-hmm. and they have one loss, and it was to UConn. I think they lost by 12. But if they were to meet again, you know, you, you make your adjustments, and it could be a closer game, and a tip here and a tip there, and UConn could lose. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Of course, uh, South Carolina is. Is coached by my favorite person, player of all time, great Dawn Staley. Right, I love Dawn Staley. Went to Virginia. Uh, she played for Virginia, right? Yes, exactly. Had a great career at Virginia, from Philadelphia. Just really one of the great, great, great people. And and also, what I love about—I mean, I know this—we're talking about something else, but it's all part of March Madness. One thing I love about Dawn Staley, and there are a lot of people like her, is that she's never forgot. She's from Philly, never forgot where she's come from, it also has a very uh, deep black consciousness. When she took her team, her team played down, um, I think they played in, 
and, and they went to Savannah for some reason. And I think she took her team by the church where, uh, was it Savannah? Charleston, 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 right. I'm sorry. Charleston. Uh, and she took her team by the church where the, you know, where the, uh, the black folks have been murdered. And, um, she, you know, she, she does things like that. So I'm a big fan for Dawn Staley reaching the final four, the final two, and beating what probably will be Connecticut right. for the national championship game. Um, but, but you, you, you know, we, we talked about the commercialism of it, but, you know, that, that really does not bother me that much about the final four, that it is commercial, but it still is a very electric event. It's, it still is um, a lot of fun, and probably no matter what decade you watch the final four, it's still a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, pre- it's pretty much a holiday, you know, it's definitely for me, but for, for the country. I mean, how many people take that Thursday and Friday all of a sudden, people are you know suddenly sick and out of work. Yeah, you know you watch the, you watch those games. If you're if you're at work, you're watching it nowadays on the computer. Um, you know, so it's it's just that constant. You know, there's, there are so many games. You know, the format of it allows you to even if even if you're not a gambling type of person, you, you, everybody fills out the bracket um, Ill- it, illegally. By the way, <laughs> yeah, dep- depending on who you work for. But, um, right. yeah, no, I mean, so it's just set up perfectly for, for that type of excitement. Then you have the Saturday, you know, the, after Thursday, Friday, you got Saturday, Sunday, and, you know, another two days of wall-to-wall games, and you get a little break, and you have the Sweet 16, with <laughs> the Final Eight, and the Final Four. It's all, you know, it's just perfectly situated. Right. Yeah, one of the things I like to uh, talk about, maybe we could talk about this. Well, we'll, we'll let's do this before we take our break. Um LSU and Ben Simmons. Right. Before the season, and again, I think this does get into, we talked about the one and dones, and I, I, I guess you have to credit or blame Cal- John Calipari for this, for the whole thing of one and dones and what it's done to the game. I think it's hurt the game. But now you've got LSU and his kid, Ben Simmons, who was basically coronated before he shot a ball, that he's the greatest, the best college player of all time and LSU and and of course, they've been really, really, really disappointed. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, Ben Simmons already just checked out because he's not gonna. He knows he's not gonna be there next year. He's probably hadn't even attended class. In fact, he got benched because he hadn't attended class. Right. And he, he, I'm sure he looked at Johnny Jones and said, "What <laughs> <laughs> class? Right. <laughs> he, you know, you got the wrong kid." What, what do you think about that, man? What do you think about? I know you you follow Simmons. You're probably pretty high on him. What do you What do you think about that, Jamal? Yeah, I'm high on him. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's checked out in terms of on the on the court. I'm, you know, I don't know what he's doing off the court or in class. I'm not privy, but um, you know, he's put, you know, he's putting up ridiculous numbers all year. He's a, I, I, I'm surprised. I, you know, it's all, it's, it's. I don't understand the reasoning of him choosing LSU. I mean, that's not a powerhouse team. Um, he doesn't follow have, the money. Right? I, who knows? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting what it could have been. Well, isn't his, isn't his uncle or somebody? Yeah, I think I there think is his, some sort of relationship there. Yeah, I think his uncle or somebody is on the bench. The well, Godfather. Well, well there, yeah, somebody. there you go. And uh, <laughs> it ain't just random that you go from Australia to damn L- LSU, Baton Rouge. LSU of all places. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there might have been a duffel bag involved. I don't know. You know, I'm just a duffel bag you know, of crab. I have crawfish. I have no. I have no knowledge of any such thing. But uh, <laughs> but. You know, but as a player, I think he's great. Um, I think he's going to be a great pro. 
he can do it all. You know, people nitpick about his game. I guess that's you have to. You have to. I guess it's your job to bring right. up. You know, you know whatever faults he may have. But you know, they say he can't shoot. You know, he, he looks like he has good form to me. He just doesn't shoot that much. He's and not, what is he? He's only eighteen. He's only eighteen. Know, he's on. basically he's a young kid. Honestly, he's eighteen years old. Yeah, come honestly, on. he's to me, and I, I've seen him play in person. I saw him play in Brooklyn. I've seen him play a bunch of times on TV. To me, he's basically a six ten pure point guard at this point. Wow. You know, and and very and fast. Like you wow. he you six ten coming at you fast and you can't really stop him. So you, your only <laughs> bet is to force him to shoot a jump shot. And he's one of the best passers I've seen in in like a decade at least. It's so funny you mentioned that cuz I've been listening to all the debates about you know a lot of the coaches are criticizing him and they they say he's checked out and attitude and you know the coach sitting him down cuz he missed class and all that and uh, you know the pro scouts. I mean, the pro scouts are going to look at that, oh, and they're going to. I said, man, you got to be out of your mind. <laughs> let this let guy. Someone, they would draft him tomorrow, right? And let someone pass on him, and then yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> First of all, the guy who passes him gets fired. Fired and should. Right. <laughs> yeah. This guy, you're right. I mean, I, I only saw him a couple. I saw him first game of the year when they played at the Barclays Center a couple other times, and he just plays. I mean, effortless is a cliche. But he's just so smooth, right? You know, and you're, you're right. People don't realize the guy's six ten, right? And I and I've heard people people say uh, they feel like he's soft or whatever. But I, you know, I, I heard an interview with uh, Andrew Bogut recently, and and Bogut, uh, who's from Australia, and said he knows him. You know, he's he's Ben Simmons has been at been at his camp, and and Bogut was saying, you know, he has he he thought he had a killer mentality. Had you know high confidence guy you know plays with a chip on his shoulder, and he thinks he's going to be <laughs> very good in the NBA. So he's not worried. You're six ten. You're a six ten point guard. That's pretty damn good. Oh, I, 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 mean, I, I gotta tell you. And then let me tell you, a shot. And, and you know you, you hear that term a lot where people say, oh, you know, like they they probably said that about Lamar Odom or you know, oh, you could play point. No, this kid is like a pure point guard. I mean, the pat this that passing stuff you can't teach. You know that vision and and seeing the game like two steps ahead and and knowing you know how to put a bounce pass right on the money in between you know, like defenders like this this guy is serious with that so you just imagine when he gets to the NBA when he has pro players to pass to you know and then right. when he, and he doesn't have to go to class and doesn't have to go to class <laughs> not that he, not that he's going anyway but. right or doesn't even have to pretend that he's going to class you, you know? know which which I, I don't know. That, there's still something that still bothers me about that, Jamal. Uh, and, Which part? And, and, well, the, well, the, the class stuff. And just, the, the, I don't know, this might be somewhat naive. You know, not like they call me schoolboy in school. But that's the, the, the devaluing of the education. And, and maybe that's not really true. You, you, we've seen it with Calipari with guys, you know, that type of caliber. You know they're only, they're basically... The system says this is what they got to do, so this is what they do. They go a year to get prime, and it is. And, and I think the guys that I've seen who have gone for one year, I think they do have a good experience. I mean, I think it is a it is fun to be at Kentucky on campus, and who wouldn't have fun doing that? Be the big man at Kentucky on campus for a year. And I, I, I we've talked about this before. Uh, you know, we talked about it with Stan Wilcox, and I. Uh, the the AD from Florida State, and I think yeah, a year is better than nothing for the kids. I'm talking about strictly as an experience for the kids and and allowing them to grow as as people. 
you know, it, it's it does give them a, an extra year not to not to have worry about the money to some extent, and and who's <laughs> and who's coming at them, um, and you know, to me the the long the more amount of time you spend, you know, in a foreign place for you know for a particular kid where, you know, you're around a diverse uh, set of people. Um, and it allows you to grow and allows you to, to meet new people and experience new things, That's that will help you in the long run, no matter what, whether you're going to class or not, really. Well, see, I, see I, I never buy that, Jamal. You I know? mean, that, 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 well, no, the whole idea, well, just stepping on campus is great. You, you, I mean, don't, you don't buy the, that? I mean, no, I mean, no, just stepping on campus. Anybody can step well, on campus. I'm saying step on Sli- and I swear stay. Slim can step on campus. <laughs> you know? I mean, hey, I, did, the, I knew when I was in school, I knew guys who didn't even go to school and you know, I don't know. They were from the neighborhood or whatever, and they just <laughs> to hang around the campus. And I, I think they got a little smarter just because of it. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Just osmosis? Osmosis? Stand I mean, out, just stand, stand outside yeah, the chemistry just, lab, just a little, and then build an atom bomb or something. I mean, you see things. Uh, you know, depending on where you're from, you see things that you don't even, you may not have known stand, existed or whatever. Stand outside the law. <laughs> somebody said, "Okay, stand outside of, out of the law school building, I, I, and I could try a case." Hey, I'm not saying it's ideal or it's the best way to go. I'm just saying it might be better than what you what what you would do otherwise. Well, I mean, for example, I thought that was it Brandon Jennings, rather than go right. from high school to that's uh, smart what he did right. College, he said, you know what, I'm going to go to go to Europe. I'll play in the European League, make you know make a couple hundred thousand dollars, right. or or and, a million now, so, in his case. Oh uh, yeah, and, and and to be honest, now that's a learning experience. That's true. I he can't, moved, can't argue with that. He moved, and I said, why am I going to go to USC? <laughs> And contribute to the coaches making double-digit salaries or whatever. I'm going to go to go to um, Italy, and to me, that's a learning experience. You're playing with older people. Right. You're in a foreign country, and to me, that's a much better learning experience than having to go to Kentucky or USC for for two years. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't argue with that. But in ter- but in terms of that and then, and then you know if you go when when they were allowing kids to go directly to co- directly to the pros from college I mean I guess that's a learning experience too I mean uh, yeah, there's no yeah, bigger that, learning experience probably yeah go right if you can do it if you can do it I I I suspect that in the next contract negotiation the NBA Players Association although remember we had Michelle Roberts on she said she would not do this but I suspect that there may be a little bit of collusion on the part of the NBA Players Association and the um, NBA to try to pass a rule that the kids have to stay, like make it mandatory to stay two years. So and so and that you would like that? And I don't. I mean, I think if you can play, you can play. Right. If you're ready, if you're ready, if you if you are ready to play, because remember the teams. Well, now I'm kind of rethinking this. I, I just on his face, I like it, but. And we talked to Crystal McCrary about this, um, you know, last week. It's already a cesspool. I mean, the recruit is already a cesspool. Right. And so if you can go right from your senior year to the NBA, I think it becomes even more of a cesspool. Right. And it, you know, I think it, it becomes more of a cesspool. But just on his face, if you, are, if you can do something, if you can play, then you can play. Right. And, it, you know, there's, there's a few different sides to it, right? So – Okay, if I'm a, if I'm a player, you know I want my right to do what I feel like I should be able to do, and I, and I, and earn them earn money that I'm capable of earning when whenever I want to, just like any other profession can do it, right? But if I'm 
college, if I care about college basketball or the NBA, I I want these guys to to stay in college longer. First of all, if I'm in college, if I'm caring, about, if I care about the college game, it helps the college game. We just talked about how right. you know all the best players are freshmen. We don't see them as sophomores. Obviously, the teams would be stronger from the NBA point of view. You know, it 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 gives it, it helps out the GMs because. When these guys are coming straight from high school or even just one year of college, these GMs are going strictly off potential, and the scouts are just guessing, you know, who's going to be good and who's not, and and more often than not, they're wrong, you know. So it helps them right. in terms of seeing who who actually will be able to show and prove at the NBA level. So I think it helps both leagues. It helps uh, the college basketball uh, situation, and it helps the NBA in the long run. Now for the for the kids. For the right of the individual kid, that's a different story. Yeah, and we're going to have a Jonathan Abrams on the show, I think maybe next week. Uh, Jonathan Abrams has come out with a ph- phenomenal book about that era of players who went right to from high school to the NBA. Right. And it's really a great book, and he's going to be on talking about his book. But I, I, don't, I don't know, Jamal. I mean, <laughs> I think the problem – also, is that remember in, in, in college, college and, and, and learning and wisdom is and, and what we're involved. Well, maybe not what we're involved, in, but but what with writing and journalism and the pursuit of knowledge is something that continues until you die. Right. You know, you get you get wiser as you get older, but that exists on the same campus as this heavily physical entity called intercollegiate athletics. And it's the exact opposite, where every year time is your time is your enemy. Right. Because the older you get, the more susceptible your body your body becomes, and and it's a, it's a, it's the industry of injury where you're gonna get hurt. So really, you know, you will play for Duke, but you say, you know, for every year I'm playing for Duke or playing my butt off for Kentucky, that's one more potential to get a broken arm or to to, to tear my ACL and. That stuff. So you have these two entities that exist on campus, the intellectual entity that basically stands four squared to this whole physical thing, which is about youth being in the moment and, 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 and capitalizing on things in the moment. So that's why, in a way, if you're Ben Simmons or anybody, if you could play, it's better just to, to get out of there and collect the money. No question about it, and that's what. And these kids are, you know, and, and the agents are thinking about this stuff. Is they want the kid to come out as fast as possible to get to that second contract, which is where you make where you make the big money. So they're looking way ahead, not just you know coming out that first year and the first three years, but the faster you come out, the faster you're on that second contract and can make real you know real money. Yeah. When we come back, um, we're gonna take a little break to make some money for the show. So. We could get paid to go to Las Vegas right. for the Final Four. Sounds good to show. me. But when we when we come back, we're going to talk about UNLV and rebuilding greatness. If it could happen, we'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. Hello, everyone. We're back. Bill Roden on Sports with my co-host Jamal Murphy. 
Uh, Jamal, I'm out here in the desert, thankfully. It's hot and beautiful. But I'm here in Las Vegas, and I remember in the 90s, I used to almost practically have to have a second home here in Vegas because if you covered college basketball, this is where you had to be with UNLV and Jerry Tarkanian, who had probably one of the more, I, I still say, maybe one of the most exciting programs ever in the history of college basketball. Maybe they didn't win all the national championships, but, man, did Jerry Tarkanian have a great, great, great run. He, he got kids. Uh, he had a great formula. You know, he would get kids, as he called street kids. But this was like, like the city itself, a team of guys, this was their last chance. Maybe they got kicked out of programs or didn't do great things in high school or whatever. There was something. And they came out to the desert. And, man, Jerry Tarkanian just had a, a great program culminating in 1990 when they absolutely brutalized Duke and won the national championship. I think they won by 30 points, which still stands as a record for the widest margin of victory in the national championship game. But my, my question, Jamal, I mean, obviously Tark had a great run, and now Vegas has never, ever, ever come close to being what it was when he was there. I mean, they brought in Roland Massimino, but the program has never been what it was uh, under Tark. And I guess my question to Maul is, what's the difference between a, a program like like UNLV, which had a flash of success, and then when Tarkanian left, uh, was gone, and programs like, you know, Duke or North Carolina or even Kansas, you know, programs that seem to have success year in, year out. It's tough. Uh, you know, I think, to me, it comes down to coaching. So I think, you know, you had a guy like Tarkanian was a great coach, uh, you know, knew how to get get his uh, point across to players, had a great relationship with players, and, I, and obviously was a good uh, X and O's guy uh, as far as basketball is concerned. And, I, and so he was able to take UNLV to ridiculous levels. And I think that once you, once you establish that, the administration, the AD or whoever, they, you have to, once he leaves or, you know, a change has to be made, you have to come right back with, a, you know, with an, with an equal uh, level coach, someone who can continue mm. it right away. And if you look at like a, t- a, t- a program like North Carolina, that's pretty much what they've done. They, you know, Dean Smith was there, exactly. and remember, they had a little lull. They didn't quite get it right with the with the coach right after that. Uh, you, you know, Guthridge yeah. was an assistant. He still had the Matt, same players, Matt, uh, and they won. Yeah. But then Doherty came, and it dipped a little. Yeah. And then they were able to get uh, Roy Williams, a proven commodity. Same thing right. with Kansas. Kansas had Roy Williams all those years. They had uh, Larry Brown before that, and now they have one of the best coaches in the game in right. Bill Self. So it's the it, right. to me, it's it seems like it's the it's the it, the teams um, who are not able to sustain it, they haven't been able to sustain the same level of head coach. Um, you know, UCLA after after Wooden, you know, they had some some pretty good coaches, but but never really the coach. Uh, well, they never had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But you know, a part of coaching yeah. is recruiting also, and and the UCLA yeah, thing uh, right, is a whole right. different animal. Like you know, because it was it was nothing was that was never going to continue. You know, 10, 10, 11, right. how many, however many, you know, that was before my time, but. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that was not sustainable. Right. But, like, you know, so that's an interesting question. So, like, so when a team like Duke, when uh, 
when Krzyzewski leaves, are they going to be the same? We don't know. But, and, I, and I think that they've got to be thinking about this. Krzyzewski, uh, Roy Williams. I mean, they, you know, you're, you see Roy faint right. on the sideline. You know, Mike has had you know, health challenges. And those administrators, um, who are Jim Beheim right. at, at Syracuse, um, it, you know, Indiana really has not been right. the same since uh, Knight was fired. So you're right. Um, and I think you bring a great point that when you when when your master coach leaves, you got to bring in another master right. coach. You know, and I was even thinking out here, I, I think I'm going to be talking to the athletic director, what about bringing in a person like Rick Pitino out in UNLV? I mean, he's getting to close to that point where <laughs> – He's kind of a bandit. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. You know, um, you mix Rick Pitino in Vegas sounds scary to me. But. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> but but that but but say they you say the same thing about Tarkanian. Right. I mean, that's what made it. That's what, and I think I think for his last gig, I think Pitino would probably thrive here because he would probably just say screw it. Right. And he, and Pitino and, thrives anywhere. You know, he, he hasn't, I yeah. mean, besides the NBA, but anywhere in college, he exactly. thrives. I think he'd do great right. here. I don't, I don't, I I don't doubt that. You, and I think, and I think, I think you're right. You need to bring in, if you're, if you're Vegas, that's pretty much what you have. Either Calipari or Patino, if that's what you want to do. If you're Bayheim, um, I don't know, but you, you're right. If Syracuse is going to continue with I, I guess all the former, players are probably going to have to fight it out. And they're here. They're... Well, is it going to be Amaker at Harvard? Is it going to be Dawkins? Is it going to be um, uh, uh, you've got um, a, a couple of a Hurley? Yeah, Hur- Hur- you know. Bunt- Wojciechowski. Uh, you, you got... Wojciechowski. Yeah, who, who's, who's it going to be? You know, so, yeah, so Dawkins. You're right. Dawkins. Um, I mean, and and all those guys, none of those guys has really proven themselves to, I mean, you know, it's almost impossible to say, to prove yourself to the level of Coach K. But even, you know, they've all had their struggles. Um, you know, none of them as you can really point to and say is ready. So that's the thing, right. too. You can get, you can get. Well, Hammerker would probably be as right, ready he as probably anybody. is, but, you know, he, he had his struggles at Michigan. So he had, he had a quote-unquote yeah. failed even though he he did pretty well, but, but people will say he failed at Michigan. Right. So, and it I comes down a lot of it is luck, right? Because you whoever you choose, you don't you really can't tell the future. Um, we don't know who the great who, who's going to be a great coach uh, when it's all said and done until they do it. Yeah. And then that's that's the thing also with with staying with your your fit, you know, keeping it in family, right? So Coach mm-hmm. K obviously would have a, a tremendous amount of say about who his successor is, I'm sure. And I'm sure he would want to keep it within that Duke family. And, may, and maybe there's not maybe there's not that guy that would really uh, sustain it. And it's almost and just to just to talk about, you know, some you know, make an analogy to the NBA and to the situation here in New York with uh, Phil Jackson, same type of thing. He seems bent hell bent on wanting to, you know, have a coach from his, you know, from his family or who 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 does who coaches the triangle, but there may not be that guy. So you you know you have to be open minded, and very few people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what he needs is Michael Jordan, <laughs> right. Scottie if Pippen. You don't have the Shaquille players in the Bryant. system. I mean, right. he didn't have Kobe and yeah, Shaq that, and I mean, Jordan and Pippen. He has Melo and <laughs> somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, is good. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah, he's, he's young. Well, 
well, he's good as he's a savior. Right. You know, that's that's another show. Listen, we'll, we'll, we're going to take a really short break, and then we're going to be back on uh, to, to just talk a little bit as we close out. Um, some thoughts I've had. I mean, why I'm, why I'm in at Vegas, why I'm in Vegas, and just some thoughts I've got about faith, longevity, longevity and sustainability. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. We're back with Bill Roden and friends on sports with Jamal Murphy. Jamal, are you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there, man. Feels good. It feels nice and warm bit. in the studio. Don't don't worry <laughs> about me. Yeah. Well, no, I'm chopping at the bit, man. I want to hurry up and get out of here. <laughs> exactly. Go down, drive down the mountain. Right. Grab a Starbucks, a Carmel Carmel Locky. Oh man. You I know, need a second one. Blast the music. Right. Listen to some Bill Roden on sports. Listen to some of our great telecasts. Right. And head toward the mountains. Head toward the hill. <laughs> I, I walked. I walked into. There's a little. I guess two fifteen south or something, and there's a little little bitty village, man. It's like nothing. I gotta tell you, I mean, this again is, but the mountains. I'm I'm driving, I guess it's in a canyon, and the mountains are just so imposing. I mean, it's so basically humbling to be in these just surrounded by these huge mountains. You know, you you sports you say, oh, he he was, he was surrounded by mountains, and now. You realize what they're saying. It's really just something to say. See, um, but the reason I'm I'm here, the reason I've been in Las Vegas so long, I really do want to thank um, uh, you know Mike and and Mark and all the people here at CBS Radio in Las Vegas for being so accommodating while I've been here. My my uh, my my uh, stepmother, I think I may have told the story, who's 90 years old. And 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 uh, loves to cruise. Was on a cruise in Thailand. She fell and broke her hip. And this was actually the day of the, um, or leading up to the NFC Championship game. And I found out about it during the, you know, while I was at the game. And so she had an operation in Bangkok. And so I flew right to Las Vegas to where, which is where they live. He, she and my father. My father who passed away a few years ago. So, because I had to get her back from Thailand and hospitals and and rehab and you know trying to get her home and full time care and all that and you know you know Jamal we work in an industry where a lot of young supple bodies where guys break their legs and then two weeks later they're back right, <laughs> you know right. they they suffer a broken arm and they're playing like the next quarter <laughs> and you know. <laughs> You know, and it gives you a, I think, a warped perspective about health and insurance and all this. And this has really been such a eye-opening experience about, you know, when you're in these rehabilitation facilities and you see people in their 80s and 90s, some, you know, even younger, but have just gone through stuff. And it really, you know, we're all kind of in the, well, you more than me, but, you know, you're in the midst of your career and trying to make the career moves and, and ups and downs and, are you going to make it or not? And then, you know, you see these people who are, like, just trying to walk. 
they're just trying to recover, get their speech back, or fundamental things like being able to take a shower without help, you know, right. and 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 also just a whole. I think we got a little lucky. We are in this facility called uh, Health South. It's an acute rehabilitation center, and um, it's pretty. It's pretty good, and um, but you just have to look at what kind of. If, if you're thinking about it now, a lot of times when you're younger, you don't. But what type of health care do I have? Because insurance is like a shell game. You know, it's, it's like whatever whatever you have is not going to be enough at the moment of truth. Because, oh, yeah, well, we pay for that when you were 40, but we don't pay for that when you're 70. Right, you know? right. So anyway, right. it's just a, um, it's just, it's been a very eye-opening experience just about health care in America and insurance and making sure you got the right coverage and long-term care and just, and then, you know, the whole idea of caring for a parent is just a whole show into itself. And parents trying to be independent and don't want you to do anything. And it's just really a trip, you know, getting to this, coming to the studio for two hours. Life is a a full cycle. You know, they take care of you when, when you're young and then it flips, you know. That's right. That's right. So on that sobering note, <laughs> anyway, but just um, uh, it's, it's, it has been great being out here and being able to help out and also just being at this part of the country, which is just very, um, I'm working on a book and a book of essays and uh, it's really been, out here has been eye-opening and enlightening and peaceful, even though the reason I'm out here is, is taxing. And hopefully it's been showing up in the quality of our broadcast. Uh, so we'll see. Well, Greg will tell us about that. <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, Jamal, you've been, you've been great. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a, uh, another podcast very soon. Pat, thank you very much. Thanks. And, thank you. Uh, yeah. And, and I got I to get out see. to Vegas. That's all I know. Yeah. Now, absolutely. Well, I think this is a great idea. I think that's what we have to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's I a, and, and I've I've done it. I've lived through that strictly as a fan. It's a great story. Yeah, I think I think that's a great atmosphere. So, you know, I hope the powers that be at play it that it hear us and, and let us do it. You know, oh, it's a great idea. We're gonna send somebody. Else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've been through that. Anyway, listen, uh, Jamal, Pat, thanks so much, and uh, we will see everybody very soon on yet another edition of Bill Rogan on sports. God bless everybody. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.